Hey, what's up? Welcome back from the long weekend. We are here with another episode of Locked on Raptors here on a Tuesday. Sean Woodley with you as always, and I'm going solo today to break down the last two preseason games for the Raptors over the weekend. The game against the Boston Celtics on Saturday, a 113-111 thrilling, but also far too intense for my liking preseason game. We're also going to dig into some takeaways from the game against the Rockets, which was, of course, a very comfortable win for your Raptors, 107-92. Going to dig into my three biggest takeaways from those two games kind of combined and it's an amalgam of takes today on today's podcast so stick around we're going to dig into Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, the roster battle for the last couple spots and so much more on today's episode. Oh like because when I shot I expected to make it so like I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors part of the Locked On Podcast Network your team every day. What's going on? Welcome to episode number 1033. I don't know. It's been four days since last episode. I forget what number of podcasts it is, but that's fine. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, you can find the podcast free on all your favorite podcast platforms as well as YouTube. Please go hit subscribe. Tell a friend. We're pushing towards 850 subs on the YouTube page. Really appreciate all of those who have clicked subscribe. If you have not yet, if you're waiting, if you are kicking the can down the road, time to pick it up and uh, subscribe to the YouTube page today. So very much appreciated in advance for those who will make the plunge very soon here. Uh, again, I want to thank you for making us your first listen of the day as well. And let's get to what we got going on on today's episode. We are digging into my three takeaways from the last two games over the weekend. The Celtics 113-111 loss for the Raptors in Boston in a fun and weird and exciting preseason game that featured far too much risk for injury for my liking in the preseason. But nonetheless, there was a lot of take a lot to take out of that one. And then also we're going to dig into the game against the Rockets last night and just kind of pull takeaways from the grand scheme of things. I think getting into the nitty gritty of preseason games maybe is a little bit too uh, picking things over with a fine tooth comb. So we're just going to look broad and big and take the big things to take from the last couple games. Going to talk about Scotty Barnes and where he should fit into the Raptors lineups this season. I think he should be pretty heavily involved. We're also going to talk about OG Ananobi, who continues to hint at a leap on the way. And then we'll sort out the roster battle for the last couple spots on the back part of the show. But let's begin with Scotty Barnes, who over the weekend played uh, in both games for the Raptors, started both games, was 4 of 10 in the first game on Saturday with 9 points, had 8 assists, 5 rebounds as well with 2 blocks. Last night against the Houston Rockets, he started, played 25 minutes, 5 of 10 from the field, 4 boards, 2 assists, 3 steals, a block as well there uh, with 10 points. And look, it's not like overwhelming, like he's not putting up 25 point, you know, highly efficient nights or anything like that so far in the preseason, but there's a lot to be excited about when you watch Scotty Barnes. And I talked about this before, but I'll reiterate the point for those who might have missed it last week. 
I think Scotty Barnes is ready to be like a legitimate, meaningful, role-playing contributor to the Raptors right away. He feels ahead of schedule, honestly, in the way he's ready to contribute to winning out of the gate. Look, is he going to average 20 a game? Is he going to be your number one option offensively? No, he's probably going to be more like your fifth option in most lineups, but the way he sort of occupies space, the way he just knows where to be on both sides of the floor, he's a good cutter, he's a really good defender, obviously, jumps passing lanes, doesn't even need to jump passing lanes all the time. He can kind of just stick his enormous arm out and catch passes, it seems. That's the thing that he's already got in his bag. Like He just really seems to fit the team game super well. And so while it's going to take time for him to develop that offensive game, the three-point shot is obviously miles away at the moment. He does enough in terms of positive value plays that I think he should be in a lot of the Raptors' most sort of counted on staple lineups. I think he's going to start out of the gate once we, you know, come to the season next week. Still waiting for Chris Boucher to return. I think there's a really good argument to make that Boucher should fill in that power forward spot for Barnes in place of Siakam when he's back just for that extra scoring punch in a lineup that is going to struggle offensively. But I could also be compelled to just keep Scotty Barnes in there and let him ride with the starters until Pascal Siakam comes back. And then you can kind of figure it out. And maybe he stays with the starters. Maybe he's your enormous starting two. Maybe he starts at the five sometimes, depending on the matchup. I really don't think there's any limit to what you should be looking to do if you're Nick Nurse with Scotty Barnes and which lineups you should be working to incorporate him into. He is already a really sound role-playing contributor to the Raptors in the preseason. Look, it's the preseason, obviously grains of salt and all of that that we've talked about throughout the preseason discussion. There's a lot of games, not a lot of them mean a whole lot. It's hard to really derive meaning from it from any of them, but I do think what we've seen in terms of just like basketball IQ, in terms of knowing where to be, being a good team defender, a good one-on-one defender, a guy who's going to kickstart your transition attack on offense, All of that suggests to me that Scotty Barnes is one of the four or five most important players to the Raptors this season when it comes to success. You have the guys, Fred Van Vliet, OG Ananobi, Siakam when he comes back, Boucher as well, who can kind of fill in the scoring needs. Gary Trent Jr. is going to bomb away from three as well. But I think Scotty Barnes, with all of that sort of role player stuff that he already does, is uh, very much tailor-made to be the fifth option in a lot of lineups. You know, very different player type to rookie year OG Ananobi, but I still think there's a potential sort of similarity in the way he can affect the Raptors this season. Just kind of slotting in, not doing a whole lot, being a low-usage guy, but really making the most of the moments when he does get the opportunity to contribute on offense, and then just being a sound, excellent defender who takes some of the burden off of OG and Pascal and the rest of the guys when he's out there on the floor. You know, whether he's going to start, I I would highly doubt that once the Raptors are at full health, that Barnes is going to start. It just, you know, he fits with the second unit as a little bit of extra playmaking. That makes a lot of sense. I think, you know, selling Gary Trent Jr. and Goran Dragic on both coming off the bench and moving Scotty Barnes to start at the two might be kind of tricky, just, you know, managing egos and whatnot. That feels like a difficult thing. And then finding minutes for both Trent and Dragic. If you're starting Barnes in your backcourt in a massive 2-3-4 configuration next to OG and Siakam, I think it's going to be difficult to get Dragic and Trent both into the game and get them regular running minutes. Or maybe Malachi Flynn ends up being the guy who gets pushed out there, which maybe the Raptors are okay with. I don't really know. We'll talk about Flynn a little bit later on. But I I think... 
the starting question is certainly a more difficult thing to manage. I do think, however, that Scotty Barnes should be closing most games for the Raptors. Not just because I think it's important to get him those reps and get him that time and get him, you know, just the sort of familiarity with playing high leverage minutes that you're going to want from him down the line, of course, but also because I think it can actually help in those minutes and his shooting doesn't have to be a huge detriment. You can roll out lineups with enough shooting to make up for the fact that Barnes doesn't fire it up from downtown, but he does all these other things to kind of fill in the gaps that I think is really valuable. And so I'm thinking the closing lineup for the Raptors, and honestly, this could end up being like the best Raptors configuration, the best set of lineups the Raptors have. I think, you know, obviously Van Vliet and an OBC Occam are in all of these best trios of best sort of collections of lineups. That trio is going to be in every lineup that is really good for the team you would expect. I think Barnes is the fourth guy that slots in with that core group of guys to make the rest of the best lineups sing. I, I think you know, who you pair along with him is interesting. You could go super big and play Precious Achua or Kem Birch. And I think, you know, there'll be matchups where that's certainly suitable. And you have Scotty Barnes playing the two down the stretch in close games. Maybe it's OG at the two. It doesn't really matter. Positions are fake on this team. And that's really fun. Um, I also think, you know, Chris Boucher, I've talked about it on the show before. I've said it all the time. Chris Boucher is a shooting guard who happens to be tall. If you throw out a lineup of Van Vliet, Boucher, I guess, is your nominal two on offense, and I guess your four on defense or your rim protector on defense, you throw in OG, Siakam, and Barnes, that's a really interesting lineup that can switch on defense and might have enough offensive juice to get by. You swap out Chris Boucher in that lineup, you go small, play Scotty Barnes at the five, throw Gary Trent Jr. or Goran Dragic at the two. I think those will be really effective lineups as well. You know, I know there's this sort of compulsion to want to see the Raptors have good center play and have centers in there and have tall people in all the time. But if you think back to last season, the best moments for the team were when they were playing small with either Siakam or OG at the five. Now they can do that, except they can do that kind of enormously by playing Scotty Barnes at the five, sliding Siakam and OG up to the three and the four, and then do whatever you want with the two and the one. You have enough space across that three, four, five covered that I really think those lineups can be excellent for the team. And with the way Barnes has been used as a screener and a short roll guy, it really seems like the Raptors want to try to use him there as well. And I think that also takes advantage of what he's doing best right now on offense, which is that sort of around the basket stuff. He has a, seems to have a nose for the basket, has thrown down some good dunks in traffic. He uh, has that little push shot that he's working on, those little short mid-range pull-ups and stuff. Those are a bit of a different bag altogether, but also very exciting. We saw those back-to-back -back against the Celtics on Saturday, which uh, sent me into a tizzy for sure. I, I, th I just think Scotty Barnes has to be part of what the Raptors want to do in the biggest moments this season with the way he can contribute and affect a game without being a huge offensive threat just yet. Um, but that's, I think, where I can leave that thought. Scotty Barnes, play him lots. I have no problem with doing it. He seems like he's ready for it, and he seems like the kind of guy who just kind of absorbs all the lessons and energy and, and kind of goes through a game and then picks up all the stuff and it just kind of goes into the supercomputer of Scotty Barnes and is, you know, turned into, you know, some sort of subtle improvements or lessons learned down the line. So... More Scotty Barnes, please. Play him a ton. That is the takeaway for the first segment of the show. We're going to get to OG Ananobi coming up in just one second. Who, man, uh, <laughs> if you're not thrilled about what you're seeing from OG Ananobi so far, I don't know what you're watching. I don't know what gets you excited, but you might need to uh, reevaluate some things. We're going to get to that in one second as the sun 
really moves across my face here on the YouTube page in my usual recording spot. Uh, I apologize for this strange set of blinds that are blind. I'm like, I look like a zebra. Either way, uh, <laughs> you don't care about this if you're listening to the video version or the audio version. That's fine. Uh, we'll get to OG in just one sec. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at Sleeper. Sleeper has changed the game for fantasy basketball. It's the last week before the season starts. You're probably doing drafts this week. You should be doing your drafts with Sleeper because it's just a better way to play fantasy basketball. I'm a person who hates the daily grind of, all right, check who are the matchups today. I'll set my lineup today. Who's playing? Who's not? And I set it seven days out, but I always forget to set it on the right day. And so I'm always missing days. It's just a nightmare trying to make your lineup maximized for the most number of games played over the course of an entire week in fantasy basketball. The season is longing to burn out quick, but not with Sleeper and their new game style called Game Pick. It is only available on Sleeper, and it lets fantasy managers pick a single game per week for each starter to count towards their team's score, uh, total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. This means there's strategy involved. It's not just a simple numbers game where you're playing guys who have four games on the schedule as opposed to guys who have two. You're actually picking you know, the matchup based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent defensive ranking, pace of play, and more. All of it adds up to more strategy and less busy work. If you like the weekly sort of rhythm of a fantasy football season, for example, where it's you basically set it and forget it one day a week, this is the dream app for you. Go to sleeper.com. They've cracked the fantasy basketball code, and you are going to love game picks. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. All right, continuing on now, uh, once again, thank you to ma for making this podcast your first listen of the day today, and hopefully every day. Uh, let's get to OG Ananobi, shall we? Who is uh, looking all right, <laughs> I think it's fair to say. His true shooting, north of 70% so far in the preseason, averaging just under 20 a game, 17 points last night on 5 of 10 shooting, 3 of 6 from downtown, 4 of 4 from the line in the Celtics game, 6 of 14, so a little bit less efficient from the field, uh, but did hit a couple of truly nasty, awe-inspiring step-back threes, which are really kind of what you dream on if you're a Raptors fan right now. You know, mixed into that, we've seen some sort of powerful finishes through traffic, just bowling guys over. We've seen sort of finesse-laden drives to the basket. Sorry, Alperen Shengun, but uh, welcome to the NBA last night as OG did many mean things to him, pushing over for dunks, driving by him for nice sort of soaring righty finishes. It's looking really nice for OG right now. And I guess the question on everybody's mind, it should be on everybody's mind, is how real is this? How much can you trust what you've seen in the preseason for OG Ananobi and whether it's going to translate to the NBA? Obviously, the preseason is a different environment. It's less intense. You're not seeing the best packages from opposing teams. You're not seeing teams totally game plan for you, although the Sixers did send a lot of double teams his way, which he managed quite well in the first couple preseason games. It's really just, uh, you know, it's a tough sort of ground to pull lots of meaningful takeaways from, and you're kind of doing selective bias in a lot of ways. Like, oh yeah, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that thing, but I will pay attention to this thing and think that's real. That's part of the process of the preseason. It's all good fun. It doesn't really mean all that much, but that is kind of what you're doing, and you have to admit it. So where do we sort of stop with the OG sort of hyperbole? And what does the preseason that OG has put together, which is over, he's not going to be playing tonight against the Wizards. He's done with four games in the books with the performances that he's put in, all very encouraging stuff. What is real and what can you take away? 
you know, I, I think it's fair to expect that he's not going to hit whatever ungodly percentage he's hitting on his pull-ups right now. Like we talked last week, he shot about 20% on pull-up threes last season on not a great number of attempts. So, you know, maybe that sample is also clouded as well. But, you know, he's hitting the pull-up very consistently this season, in the preseason at least, you know, pulling it up, not just sort of, you know, going over, you know, in a pick and roll situation, the guy's going under the screen and he's got all the space in the world. He's got guys on him and he's isoing them and then stepping back for pull-up threes. It is really impressive stuff. And I think it's fair to think that it's at least a little bit real. Is he going to be a 40% pull-up three-point shooter this season? No, but if he's a 30% pull-up three-point shooter, that changes the game significantly considering where he was at last season, especially if he's picking up the volume. That becomes a shot that people will have to respect. You know, maybe 30% is not high enough for teams to really care, but it'll be in their head, and the sort of pizzazz with which he hits those shots is going to be in their head as well. I think it's going to alter the way teams defend him, whether they go over the screen, I'm not sure, whether they kind of really sort of close out on him super, super closely and tightly and allow those blow-bys that he's kind of been working into his game. I don't know, but I think it's going to change the way defenses play him and it's going to open up more options for him, which is very exciting. Uh, you know, again, you don't want to go and pencil him in to be like the wing version of Steph Curry or anything like that with the pull-up three-point shooting. But the fact that he's been doing it a lot in preseason, that he seems emboldened to do it, that the team has talked about him being the number one option for the team. Fred Van Vliet mentioned it. Nick Nurse has talked about OG getting a ton of possessions funneled his way. It seems like it's going to happen here where OG is just going to become one of the top scoring options on the team. How the hierarchy lines up when Pascal Siakam comes back might really depend on what happens with OG in the first month. Does he handle the sort of lesser supporting cast around him and parlay that into being still an efficient scorer? If that's the case, then maybe you can make the argument that OG should be getting the shots over Pascal when it really comes down to it. I don't really believe in sort of funneling shots to one person either way, but if you're kind of going the guy you trust most to least, maybe OG is on track to become that guy in kind of short order here. The first month is going to tell us a lot and how teams defend him now that there's going to be a book out on him knowing, okay, OG is the guy they're kind of running stuff through. Let's see what we can do to bother him. The first month is going to be trial by fire. And I think the way he responds to it is going to be a lot more telling about what's to come with him than anything we saw in the preseason, as encouraging as it all was. You know, I think the things you can tangibly look at and say are improved from last season and can actually translate over into the regular season, the handle is just very clearly tighter. You know, there's still some, you know, slip, slip, slip up here and there, but he looks legitimately comfortable with the ball in his hands. Yes, he's got this weird herky-jerky movement style, and it kind of looks bizarre, but I, I can't remember who made the point. It might have been uh, Anthony Doyle, one of our friends from Raptors Internet. I apologize if I'm misattributing this, but someone made the point that there are tons of guys in the league who just happen to be weird and the league tends to benefit and really reward those guys who kind of play a bit of a beat off of what the standard sort of expectation is. And that could really work in OG's favor as this sort of herky-jerky wing. I think the handle, yeah, obviously very real. I think the, again, the sort of eagerness with which he's pulling up is enormous. And the fact that the Raptors are willing to give him those opportunities and just say, let it fly, OG, I think speaks to their intentions this season, which is just see what they can get out of these guys, really kind of put these guys and test them to their limits to see what this core really is and what what means going forward and, and who you're keeping around, who is part of the solution, who is not. I'm glad that they seem to have that sort of instilled in OG, just like let it fly, dude, go nuts. You have the green light. That's great. That can be sort of translated over. And then I think, you know, the playmaking as well. We've seen 
lots of flashes from him over the years, you know, maybe just like, you know, two or three assist games or whatever it might be, nothing crazy prolific, but we've seen the touch, the patience he has when it comes to playmaking. When he gets into a spot where he can't move any further with his dribble, where he's kind of walled off from the basket, he's always really adept at finding those big-to-big passes, at kicking out, finding cutters. That's been a thing he's always been good at, and I think we've seen a slight scaling up of that. The assist numbers have not really been there so far, but we've seen a lot of really encouraging playmaking flashes from OG so far in the preseason, and that stuff is very real to me, and that stuff's only going to get easier for him when Siakam is back and there's more attention to be paid elsewhere on the floor. Again, that first month for OG is going to be super interesting to see how he absorbs all the extra attention and then defers and parlays that into success for the other players on the floor. I think, you know, Gary Trent Jr. stands to be a really big benefactor of OG. Scotty Barnes, as a cutter, stands to be a really big benefactor of the extra attention being paid to OG. How he kind of levels up and takes those steps is going to be really fascinating. I think you have to kind of pump the brakes a little bit when it comes to OG. You know, you don't want to go and assume he's going to be like a 26-point-a-game scorer or anything like that. These things take time. There's increments to becoming a star. These star leaps aren't just instant, all right, 16-point-a-game scorer to 31-point-a-game scorer. Unless you're James Harden, these things don't happen overnight. You know, look at Jason Tatum, for example, who went toe-to-toe with OG in that Saturday game. It's been just like slow incremental steps for him. And after two or three or four incremental steps, he's a freaking superstar. I'm not saying OG's ever going to get to the heights of Jason Tatum because Jason Tatum is awesome as much as I hate to say it and give praise to Boston Celtics players. He's unbelievable. I don't know if OG will ever get there, but if he is going to get there, I don't think it's going to be a single season thing. And you got to be patient with it and know that there's going to be growing pains here. As we saw with Pascal Siakam in his first season leveling up to be the number one option for the Raptors in 2019-20. And as we saw last season as well with Siakam, the sort of non-linear progression that sometimes takes place with these breakouts and these sort of ascensions to stardom. You gotta have to, you're gonna have to sort of pump the brakes a little bit here on OG and not get too carried away, but the signs are extremely, extremely promising. And I think it's totally fair to expect that he can average north of 20 a game, whether maybe 22, something like that, maintain similar efficiency. He's getting to the line a little bit better so far in preseason. Again, tiny, small sample, but anecdotally, it seems like he's kind of hunting that contact a little bit more. And those calls will start to come as it becomes more of a reputation thing, I'm sure. You know, I think there's lots to take away from this preseason that should leave you feeling extremely giddy about OG, but just don't go and expect that he's going to be like an all-star immediately because these things definitely take time and the preseason is certainly not testing ground to see whether or not all of these different concepts are actually working in practice uh, when it comes to OG. But either way, I want to watch him all the time. I can't believe it's eight more days until we have to watch OG, until we get to watch OG. I wish we could watch him play tonight. I wish we could watch him play every single day because every single thing he does just kind of makes your stomach bubble with excitement. That sounded gross, but it's a good kind of bubbling. It's uh, it's like butterflies, not uh, the other thing. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) that feels like a good place to turn things uh, and turn our attention to the back part of the roster. The roster battle's developing. Isak Bonga played a pretty nice game last night, kind of fitting into what the Raptors want to do does he have a chance to make the team on opening day we'll get to all that in one second but first i want to tell you about our pals over at betonline.ag who are back and better than ever all eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on the field for another football season as always betonline is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this year with a new updated site and interface even more props odds and contests 
Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit and use the promo code Locked On to get that bonus. If you put in 100 bucks, you get 150 to play with. That is a great deal. It doesn't just have to be football. Of course, if you're a basketball fan, you want to put the money on the Raptors taking the over or something like that, you can go to Bet Online and place your bets there for the upcoming NBA season, NHL season, baseball playoffs, and everything in between as well. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online is where the game starts. All right, let's round this thing out. I apologize. There's a leaf blower going on outside my window, so if that's picking up on the microphone, my deepest apologies. It's fun little ambient noise here on a Tuesday. Let's get to the conversation of the back part of the Toronto Raptors roster. As we've talked about before, I think there are 13 spots that are set in stone for this year's team. You've got OG and uh, OG Ananobi, Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Kem Birch, Gary Trent Jr. as your presumed starting five or something like that. You've got Malachi Flynn, Goran Dragic, Scotty Barnes, Yuta Watanabe, Chris Boucher, Precious Achua, Delano Banton as your next seven. Banton, of course, is on the guaranteed deal. He's not one of the two-way guys. Those are Champagny and David Johnson, who will be with the 905 a whole bunch this season. And then I think Sfima Hailuk has very clearly, you know, you know, he was he had the inside track because of a guarantee going into the camp anyway to get a job, but he's been so good. He's probably going to be a rotation player from day one. Stands a chance of maybe nudging out a Malachi Flynn or a Yuta Watanabe from the rotation as well, depending on how Nick Nurse wants to deploy his units and where he's going to mix in the Dragic minutes and all that stuff. Maybe Flynn becomes surplus to requirements and that shooting and sort of secondary sound playmaking from Mihailuk becomes more of a priority for Nick Nurse. Either way, way, Sfi is in. I think I'm I'm very comfortable saying that. That brings you to the last two spots, and that's going to be between Isak Bonga, Sam Decker, Ish Wainwright, uh, Freddie Gillespie, Reggie Perry, who's not really played a whole lot. I don't think Reggie Perry is going to make the team. He's on an Exhibit 10, probably going to play a whole bunch with Raptors 905. Where the Raptors go with those last two spots is interesting. I suppose they could also look outside and try to find some kind of center, maybe a center who gets let go from another team, you know, someone who's taller than six foot ten. That's totally possible, and maybe they just want that as an extra guy who they can throw at a potential big matchup like Joel Embiid or Nikola Jokic and just six extra fouls on the roster to throw out there. I think Freddie Gillespie, you know, stands a chance of getting that job as well, just because he's kind of the only show in town when it comes to traditional centers on the team, despite being only six foot nine as well. He's got that crazy long wingspan. He's got the sort of more paint bound, ground bound type of game that you might want from a more sort of sturdy defensive center. I don't know. The thing with Freddie Gillespie is that he's played horribly so far in the preseason, and it's hard to overstate how rough he's looked. He does not fit what the Raptors want to do with their other six foot nine guys. He does not have any offensive chops. His mobility is sort of limited. He's not like stretching out to the perimeter to guard guys on switches and getting back to the rim. He's very effective when he's at the rim because his arms are so freaking long. He is a good rim protector when he's called upon and he's in position. But I just don't know if the lack of offensive utility and the sort of you know, kind of replacement level rim protection 
make it worth having him out there for his admittedly very good rebounding. And I wonder if that roster spot can go to somebody else who better fits the identity of what the Raptors are looking for. Like Isak Bonga, for example, who Nick Nurse spoke glowingly, glowingly of last night, said he did everything they wanted him to do. He does seem to fit the bill as well. Also six foot eight, six foot nine, seems to have a little bit of a handle, although it's not like Precious Achua level or anything like that. And by the way, my God, Precious Achua, very exciting to watch. I can't wait to see how that all develops this season. But with Bonga, you know, he, he seems to just kind of fit the mold and doesn't play outside of himself, plays within himself, just kind of does the small connector things that you want. I wonder if Bong has got an inside track now to one of those two spots just based on size, you know, the six foot nine bias and all that, and also the fact that he doesn't really get in his own way at all. That's kind of the way to win a job when you're the 14th or 15th man. I also think, you know, Ish Wainwright has not gotten a lot of run. I think he's probably not going to make the team at this point, considering how little the team seems to have invested in him in terms of time in the preseason. But hey, maybe a big game for him tonight in Washington changes that picture for him. Honestly, I'm fine if Ish Wainwright is your vibes guy as the number 15 option. Like, you're rarely going to be playing your 15th guy anyway unless something horrible has gone wrong. See last season for the Toronto Raptors. More often than not, that guy's never going to play. He's not going to dress. I kind of don't mind having a dude that everybody likes just on the team. You know, again, it's all sort of wishy-washy. You can't quantify the value of it all, but... Wainwright seems to be a very likable, personable, Raptors type of dude. I think there's some value in that, and maybe just kind of giving that 15th spot. Maybe you move on later in the year, but starting the year with him, I don't think that's a bad idea. And I don't think anyone else has really made a case to get that 15th spot over him. Gillespie may, might get it because of inertia, but I just don't think Gillespie's earned it at all, and I don't think he's going to play very much, and neither is Wainwright. You know, both guys, I guess you could qualify as vibes dudes, so maybe you just give them both the jobs, give them the 14th and 15th spots, and say goodbye to Bonga and Decker. But I think, you know, Bonga actually offers, you know, real utility and could play in some lineups for the Raptors, whereas, you know, the, the 15th spot, less of a thing to worry about there. So I think it's down to Wainwright or Gillespie. I would probably opt Wainwright just because I think, you know, Gillespie does not really fit the mold of what the Raptors need. And yes, I know everybody wants centers and all that, but you don't just have to have a center on hand just to have a center. You could argue that Gillespie would be like the fifth guy to get minutes at the five behind Achua, Birch, Boucher, Barnes, even OG, Siakam. Those guys sliding in, I'd rather play in the five than Freddie Gillespie at this point. So as much as it pains me to say, because I love Freddie Gillespie so much, just like a wonderful dude, a wonderful story, turning G League success into making the NBA. That stuff is just like, it's straight to my heart. I love it so much. I just don't know if he's done enough to really justify the roster spot. But I suppose you could say the exact same thing about Ish Wainwright, who has literally not done anything because he hasn't played very much at all. So I, that's where I'm kind of leaning, though. Wainwright for that 15th spot. Decker, I think, you know, it's not really happening. And, you know, the way Svia's played kind of makes Decker a little bit of a redundancy. I think Reggie Perry, you know, a nice 905 piece. I thought maybe they could give him some more run in the preseason. Like, can he outplay Gillespie, for example? I thought maybe they pit them against each other in a little bit more of a battle. But it seems like he's 905 bound, which is totally fine. You know, a guy who played for the Nets last season, had some moments here and there. Not a bad thing to have around in your system. Maybe he gets converted to a two-way later in the year after perhaps like a Justin Champagne gets a, a real deal later on in the season when the 50 days are up for the two-way. I'm not sure, but um, that's kind of my read on the back part of the roster right now. We might get some more answers tonight as the Raptors take on the Wizards and we get a little bit more clarity there as to what the uh, sort of back end of roster guys are capable of as they probably get a lot more responsibility. We will talk about that tomorrow. I think Big V is going to be back on the podcast tomorrow, which is very exciting. Javon Shepard as well. We're going to hopefully get on the podcast for Thursday. So 
that is what you have to look forward to. Again, a very fun Friday episode on the way as well with a guest or two that I don't want to tease just yet because it's not yet confirmed, but it's working. It's looking pretty good and it's in the works. So stay tuned for a fun guest episode on Friday. And with that, we will leave it there. Thank you so much for tuning in and making us your first listen of the day. Your second listen of the day should be Locked on NBA, or in fact, you should make it the ultimate NBA preview, which is its own feed. I'm taking part in it on Friday's episode. We're doing a five-part series of roundtable discussions where all the teams have been broken into tiers, contenders, pretenders, tankers, teams on the rise, which the Raptors are part of. Uh, I'm in the chat with the hosts from Locked On Pelicans, Locked On Grizzlies, Locked On Hornets, Locked On Wolves, and Locked On Kings. That's going to be up on the 15th on Friday, so you have that to look forward to. Either way, tons of great stuff over on the Locked On NBA Ultimate NBA Season Preview, so go and subscribe to that separate feed from Locked On NBA, and then listen to the Locked On NBA podcast as well every single day as they break down all the news around the league. Ben Simmons reported last night. They're talking about that, of course, and a whole lot more. Anyway, that's going to do it. We'll talk to you again tomorrow as Big V rejoins the show, uh, and have a great day. We'll talk to you with another episode of Locked On Raptors then. In the meantime, enjoy the game against the Wizards. Bye-bye.